If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 as we uh, venture into the second installment on our sermon series, which was not supposed to be a sermon series, but it has turned into a sermon series, and because you are sons. Josh, I got a, a loud shrill in this thing again. Whatever speaker it is, we can either pull it off the rack, throw it down, shoot it, something. You know there's going to be a special place in hell for faulty sound equipment. Did you know that? It's like fat lighter, like kindling. That was a joke. Y'all stand with me this morning. 1 John 3, 2. Three, one and two, I'm sorry. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, that we would be allowed to be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And beloved, now we're the sons of God. We're not working towards, we're working from that title. I'm not trying to attain sonship. I was born again, you were born again, not of our own will, not the will of man, nor of the flesh, but of the will of God. We are his creation. We are his craftsmanship. And now we are sons. I told you last week, if that revelation, not just to see it, but to see it with your spirit, man, that this is not something I'm hoping for or striving for. I'll never be more a son than I was when I was born again. Now we're the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, which means we're not seeing all the fullness. But we know this. When he comes for us, when he appears, we'll be like him, instantaneously changed. In the same way we were made in his likeness and image, we're now going to be glorified into a perfected state. It does not yet appear. Anybody in here glorified yet? Okay, you're all the way home. You're all the way fixed. All the way done. No, it does not yet appear what all it is going to happen. And nature itself groaneth, groaneth to wait and see the manifestation of the sons of God. But this much we know when he comes, he'll finish it. He that began the good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. One other verse just remain standing for this, and I won't ask you to stand again. John 1 12 and 14 through 14. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and full of truth. You may be seated in the Lord's presence this morning. Would you join with me and pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Lord, I just come before you today knowing that you know my thoughts are far off even before I think them. And I don't want to uh, go into today without sharing with my family my weakness. And oh Lord, uh, my need for you, my great need for you, for your anointing. And I know that your anointing uh, giveth life and it breaks yokes. And so I want to tell you, I do not rely upon my uh, studies or preparation or anything. I just ask for you to make these words clear and 
powerful and may they seep into the deepest part of who we are, I pray, and bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Last week we got to number one (laughs) in the phrase, and because you are sons. So what does that mean to me? What does that mean working out of me? What does that mean to the Lord? What does that mean to the world? What does that mean to the onlooker? If I'm a son, what of it? And very quickly by way of review. And because you are sons, you have the DNA of your father. In the same way Eve was taken from the side of man. And he said, she is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he called her woman because she was pulled from him. You too were pulled from the side of Christ. And the Bible says that we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. If you were to exhume the body of my deceased father who died when I was 11, 43 years ago, and you were to swab the inside of my mouth, you would find that that is my father. Even if there is no remnant of him, nothing but dust, you would find evidence that I was of him. That's why it was important that Mary conceived as a virgin because the blood comes from the man. And the seed of God did not come through man. It went right to the womb of that woman and uh, Christ was born. And if you were to look at the spiritual DNA of every believer, we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. So it's not something we're striving towards. It's something we're working from. This divine DNA is not gradually added but it's progressively and divinely unveiled. We're not growing into our sonship, but our sonship is maturing. It's unveiled. Uh, we're, never more in, we're never more his children because of deeds done or ministry ex- experiences or works, but the unveiling of who we are happens as we mature. And everything in your life should flow from the divine deposit of God's nature in you, your sense of worth, the immovable foundation that nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure that the Lord knows who are his, your confidence of sonship. The Bible said the spirit himself bears witness that I am his son. The natural fruit that's manifested from this life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Your relational prayers If you remember when the disciples, they witnessed Jesus go off into the mountains and pray and they would watch him pray nearby in a campfire and they watched his divine communion and intimacy with God and they said, teach us to pray, Lord. And the first thing he said was, you pray from relationship. You say, our Father, I know him as God. I know he's creator. I know he's healer. I know he's savior. But when I talk to the Lord, I come in relationship. Having therefore boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which God hath consecrated through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And now, having a high priest over the house of God, I come in with full assurance I'm related to the one I'm talking to. Not by any works of righteousness which I've done, but according to his mercy he saved me. And our prayer life, if it, if, if it comes from need alone, then we only pray when we're needy. If it comes from desperation alone, if it comes from intellect, no, it comes from relationship. Jesus said, our Father, our Father. So today we're going to start with number two and see how far we get. 
If you're taking notes, you can write, and because you are sons, dot, dot, dot. Number one, you have the DNA of your father. And number two, your life should be one of constant transformation. And because you are sons, you should be changing profoundly, consistently, gradually, instantaneously, divinely, meekly, unmistakably. The truest definition of death is when you stop changing. Because your body is replenishing itself all the time. Cells are regenerating, renewing. You're in constant state of, uh, of process of death and renewal. Death and renewal. First the natural, then the spiritual. That's the spiritual definition of death tooth when you stop changing. If we are sons, then we should be growing up into him who is the fullness. Even Christ Jesus. The fullness of all. Even Christ because you have the Holy Spirit in you, transforming you, renewing you, correcting you, changing you, uh, empowering you, pulling you. There's a divine work. You are the project. You are the project. See, we're wanting God to work on the peripherals of our life. Most of our prayers are about the peripherals of our life, where we live, what we drive, where we work, who our friends are, how we feel. But you are the only eternal asset in the world. Everything else will be destroyed by fire. You're it. And so God is using the details of your life and the Holy Spirit in you, not to make you comfortable, but to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. You're the project. And if we walk in the spirit, if we walk in the awareness of the knowledge of our sonship, if we've given God rule and reign in our heart, you'll always be changing. Maybe you hit this struggle early on in your faith. Maybe you're hitting it in your mid-years. You hang around a certain group of people, and then five years later, you just don't connect with them anymore. They haven't had a new thought since the Korean War. You know, just same it's like high school friends tell you this, you know, you change. Church people say, you, you change. you're not the same person. Thank you. That means I'm walking with Lord. And it doesn't mean you're better than them. It means that the old you is dying away and the new you is revealing itself. You should always be changing. And you can tell we are backsliding. Backsliding doesn't always mean you have shook a angry fist at God and turned away. It means you're falling back from a previous condition, a previous purpose, a previous intention. And a backslider is filled with his own ways. If you have to think back to three or four years for change, while the Holy Spirit is always modifying, always nudging, always correcting, always encouraging, you should be stronger. Paul said, by now you ought to be teaching other people. You ought to be growing in the fullness of the Lord. You ought to be past that. You ought to be deeper than that, wiser than that. You know, you can grow old without trying. And growing old and growing up isn't the same thing. Maturity is the evidence of a spirit-filled life. 
Okay, y'all are just staring at me this morning. It's either profoundly deep or just so profoundly simple, y'all are going, what's up with this guy? Or, 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 do your kids, let's say you got kids and they're 16 and 15 and 17. Is it possible to have eight years difference between them while they're 15, 16, and 17? Like how they act? One's 15, you take them down to the DMV on their 15th birthday. Praise the Lord, baby got their learner's permit. The other one says, Mama, I'm going to be 15 in two weeks. You ain't never getting your license. You'll be 106 before you drive. Right? Why? Because although your age says this, Mama knows you, you kill somebody your first day out. Right? Could it be that the Lord is withholding Blessings and opportunities from us, not because of how old we are or how young we are, but because we've stopped changing, we've stopped maturing, we've stopped. And to change, something's got to die. Something's got to live, but something's got to die before. And when you have a personal altar, you hear the altar, the altar. The altar is just a place of death. When you bring the Lord a part of you. And because you're sons, you ought to be changing. Now, yes, we struggle with our flesh. And yes, my experience is three steps up, one step back, two steps back, three. Yes, because you're, you know why that's the case? It's not because you're different. Oh, I'm a lost cause. No, it's because the flesh hates the spirit and wars against it. The flesh can't stand this new abiding life this new abiding voice that will not be silent it opposes the comfort of the flesh with cause it it opposes the seeking of the flesh not to be troubled with intentions and purposes you know i gave you the definition of the flesh the flesh says now now if you want to know is that the flesh is that the lord is it now like, you don't hear some guy my size or bigger. I'll pick on us, you know, six, six, two, six, three, and I'm five, nine and a half. And I'm shrinking, by the way. As you get older, that's not right. And one driver's license says 5'11, one says 5'10, 5'9 and a half. If the Lord tarries, I'll be four foot four before this thing's done. <laughs> and I don't even know where I was going. I forgot what I was saying. I... What was I saying, Jeff? See if you can help me. Jeff wasn't listening. What? <laughs> Kelly, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, thank you, Kelly. Big guys. You don't hear some, you know, well, pick on a couple. Let me find some big guys who, let me find some Sanzibelt guys. Hold on. No, they're so young, they don't even know what those are. They used to make a britches. <laughs> the belt was already installed, and you could go from 36 to 46. It didn't matter. You just slip them on. And it... Anyway, you don't hear them when their wife says, baby, where do you want to go eat tonight? Oh, darling, I've been craving ribs. They got all you can eat ribs at Sonny's, and I think I'll go three weeks from Tuesday. <laughs> We're going tonight. I'll stick with guys because I got in trouble the last time I talked about the girls. This boy that's 17 and he's all hormones, all hormones. He doesn't look at that girl and go, oh, man, I just, I've got to go out with her. I think I'll ask her out next year. You see what I'm saying? Your spirit says, 
not now, not advisable, not important. And the flesh goes, wait, wait a minute, I'm God up in here. I decide what I want, when I want it, and I'll justify it through twisting the scriptures. I'll do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, because I'm the final authority in this life. And the Holy Spirit says, not today you aren't. Not anymore you aren't. We didn't have a conflict before we were saved. I wanted to drink. I got drunk. No conflict. But when you have the Spirit-filled life, there is a tension that's pulling you out of who you were into what God has for you. We should be transforming continually because of the intimate interaction with the Lord. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this change comes from the Lord. It's not the same thing, but I find that for myself, if I can tack on an example, even if it's silly, I remember stuff. Now, some of y'all are just high IQ and, you know, they put those things on Facebook. Less than 2% of the people can figure this out. And they always go, figured it out. Point nine seconds. I figured it out. We hate you, by the way. Everybody hates you. That's why you eat alone. No, I'm I'm teasing. Lost my place again. Hold on. What was I going to say? See, I shouldn't slip into those. Oh, well. If it comes back to... Oh, if you're visiting with us, the reason I do that is many years ago, many years ago, uh, when I traveled and preached, I would, and especially when I'd go watch and hear preachers, you could tell they lost their place. But they would just keep talking for like 10 or 11 minutes, and it was like word salad, where you just... And it was an army of words marching, looking for an idea. And then when they remembered, they got back on. And I just felt like that was lying. So I just tell you when I lost my place. But that joke was really good. And if I can remember where I was, I promise I'll come back to it. Oh, I'm there. I'm back. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. It's the diet do. He said, welcome back. Yeah. Okay, so we, the Bible says, we are beholding the glory of the Lord. Has anyone seen him with your physical eyes in the last? I have not. And be careful of those people that see angels every day and see the Lord every day. We do not. But we're beholding his glory. Beholding means looking. So when we live, he is not only in us, he's with us. And by interaction, when I talk to him, The nearness of my heart to him changes me. Now, it's a bad illustration, but it's a perfect example. You know how men wear this $3 cologne? If you can buy a dolly of it for six bucks, just no. no. You know, aqua velva, high karate, whatever. And they put it on so thick that it burns up all the little sensor nodules in there. And you have to wash in it to smell it. And you, you hug, you know, they'll go, hey, preacher, come here. And if you're one, I love you still, but I'm just sharing the truth with you. I carry you with me for a long time after I hug you. <laughs> you don't leave smelling like me. 
I leave smelling like you. I take the suit back to the cleaners. Anything you can do with this. Hi, Karate Sunday. Yes, he got me again. It's really bad. <laughs> and if you hug, just, just a hug. Now, I didn't bathe in it like he did, but the interaction, the closer the interaction, look, the deeper the exchange. You are hugging the Lord. You are worshiping the Lord. You are holding hands with the Lord. You are being embraced by the Lord. And that intimacy changes you. It changes the way you think, feel, see, act. It, it's supposed to change you. And change stops when we live our Christianity remembering what he was showing us instead of nearness. If you're near the Lord, you're changing. From glory to glory. Because whether you're aware of it or not, you're beholding the Lord. Every time you lift your hands, you're beholding the face of God. When you're in the car worshiping with one hand, people, not two, one hand, you're beholding the Lord. And it changes you. Your life should be one of constant transformation because of your surrender and self-denial. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The life of the believer, the discipled life, the surrendered life, the fruit-filled life cannot happen without two things, sanctification and consecration. Sanctification and consecration. If you're taking notes, sanctification is separation from the world. I am distancing myself from you. Because if I love the world, then the love of the Father is not in me. I can't be that, watch that, listen to that, think like that. I'm not of this world, so I separate from the world. But then I must consecrate unto God. And what happens many times is believers will do one of the two and satisfy themselves. Here's the person, I'm just all God. I go to church five nights a week, but I live like hell two days a week. So there's consecration, but there's no separation. Now, that leads to a carnal Christian. You'll see them on Facebook posting scriptures, and then the next week they're out partying in Jesus' name. You know, what was it? Hymns and beer night? Somebody sent me something that just makes me sick to my stomach. Anyway, you'll see them talk about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, but it's also the world, the world, the world. Now, on this side, you got the person that's separated from the world. I don't do nothing. We don't wear makeup, long pants, eyeglasses, walking sticks, roll-on deodorant, outdoor floodlights. All of it's unnatural. God delivered me from chewing gum. What are you talking about? They don't do anything. There's no consecration unto God, but bless God, we don't do anything. They're just mean. Those people are just mean. So for the believer, it's not only separation from the world, but it's consecration unto God. And since the world has nothing on you, then God's Holy Spirit has free reign to change you into what he wants to change you. Because I can't be too duplicitous when I'm near him. We don't want to be the people. We don't want to be the people. And I don't want to be the pastor who honors him with their lips, but their heart is far from him. 
Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of the Lord. And this is for those of you that you're, maybe you're surrounded with Christian influence. I don't know how Christian it is. It says just be what you want to be, listen to what you want to listen to, watch what you want to watch, read what you want to read, and, and it's not going to change you. Be careful of what you see, the Bible said. Take heed to what you hear because what you let in the eye gate and what you let in the ear gate and who you surround yourself with sculpts your choices and personality and character. And because you're sons, you ought to be changing. And if, listen, if anyone, family, friend, now, this is not an excuse to leave a spouse. God's word is clear about that. But if you are a hindrance to me becoming more like Jesus, then you can't be a major part of my life. If, if you hinder the work of God in my life, well, Jesus was the friend of sinners. Yes, he was, but they weren't his friends. He was loving and kind to them. And when you hear many in this generation talk about the friend of sinners, that's why we have church in the nightclub, and that's why we hang out and do all of this stuff. The truth is, they miss it. And they may be telling someone about Jesus, but the actions dilute and or negate the message. Because Jesus is clear. He went outside the camp bearing the reproach. He was never of them. And so we have to make those decisions. You, one of the keys to Christianity, please hear me, I'm not talking about thinking you're better than someone and I'm not talking about an arrogant attitude, but the key to many of the victories you're not experiencing is you need to tell some people goodbye. Goodbye. I told one group of people, uh, I said, and I, told, I just can't, spend any time with you anymore. This was early on in my faith. And they said, what? I said, oh, I'm not judging you. I'm judging me. I'm not strong enough yet to live my life in your environment. So, goodbye. Well, what did they call you? It's irrelevant what they called me. I knew that's what it would take. So, in cl um, finishing that point, you ought to be continually transforming and if something's in the way, move it out of the way. If something's blocking the dam, unblock the dam. If something's causing you to limp, uh, you know, move the stumbling blocks out of the way so that you can run your race freely. Lay aside every, not just sin that does so easily beset you, but every weight, every hindrance. Okay, um, I have to keep looking at my watch because it's dying. It keeps... The nicer they are, they don't work. Just get you a Timex. Lee told us last 16 years. When I was in Mercer University 103 years ago, and that was a joke, in, in the, the Greek League, they would have like Greek games where you could win trophies and all the girls would go, oh, he's so great. So that's why I competed in everything. We try to get applause, you know. You had frisbee throw, football kick, you know, high jump, broad jump. And I was, I did the 100-yard dash. I wasn't fast, but I was quick on the football field, and fast is not quick. Like, I run out of speed, but if I need to get four yards between me and you, I was a little guy, and fear is a strong motivator. I could just, like, what was that? I don't know, but it was something fast. It was John, quick. So I'm lined up, 100-yard dash, 
uh, I wasn't down in a little stance, so you knew I wasn't too trained, but I was ready. Had my dolphin gym shorts on. Any old men, y'all remember those with the little dolphin on them? These young people don't even know what I'm talking about. It was a little sculpted, a little... Put it this way, it was a good bit of fabric, but not quite enough. But you needed some more fabric. So you got, got the shirt with the sleeves cut out down to the waistline, okay? Oh, you could tell. And then, when, and then when the man, you can't really tell in the suit now, but if I had on my athletic gear, and then I said, like that, when you do your little foot up, like, that's serious. You know it's on. I'm, right, I'm about to bring it. And I looked down, and I said, there's two guys... I'm about even with one guy I know I can't beat, but I'm coming in second if I don't win this thing. And there was one of the little drug boys, is what we called him. Every fraternity has a little different thing, but he was <laughs> he come in with his blue jeans and wallabies. Y'all remember the wallabies? It's like off-brand Buster Brown. It didn't quite make, it was like Ruster Brown or something. I don't know. And here's the heel, and then the toe went out like that, and they were brown, lace-up. And he had his blue jeans on and a shirt. And I'm like, you ain't ready to run? And then the people say, oh, watch, watch. No, he come in last by about 50 yards. He can't, you can't run in jeans that if you bend over, you know, you pass out. You can't run in those or wallabies that weigh 15 pounds each. He wasn't prepared. I came in second, by the way. And I looked down the guy that won because I wasn't a believer. I was just letting him know if it was just a eight-yard race, I'd have killed you. I'd have killed you fast. So, Pastor John, what does that have to do with anything? I'm glad you asked. Because I can tell by how you're spiritually dressed if you're running your race. If you've got the world's ideas, the world's attitudes, the world's music in your ears, the world's television shows playing on your television, the world's everything. You are just like the guy with blue jeans and a wallaby and a full winter jacket, and you think you're going to outrun. You think you're going to outrun your adversary who is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let us lay aside every weight that hinders you. And other Christians go, that's not necessary. It is if I want to run. It is if I want to run. Don't let anyone else tell you how to run your race. And our problem is we stopped running years ago. We jog and walk. Let us run our race. Number three. Are y'all warm? Brother air conditioning? I know as soon as you turn it on, the ladies are going to break out the shawls and the king-size comforters. We had one lady pull one out of a purse. It just had a little hole poked in it. She just slid it over. But you can turn it on anyway. And because you are sons, the world will not recognize or receive you, but will instead hate you. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. They'll hate you. Now, they'll hate you because of who you are. They'll hate you because of whose you are. And they'll hate you because of who you're not. Now, there is an idea floating around in... This new Christian culture that sounds right, but it's false. Just listen to your pastor, it's false. We think that the goal of the church is to make the world like us, approve of us. Now, I don't think you should be so arrogant and ignorant 
that you turn people off by your speech and your countenance. But the world hated Christ. The only way the world can identify with me and like me as a spirit-filled believer is if I don't resemble Jesus. I can't have his spirit and have a different reaction. So see, Jesus tells us they're not going to receive you because you're going to be in my name, you're going to have my spirit, you're going to speak my words. The only way that I can get along and fit in the culture and they go, Christ Chapel, that's great, they're great, is if I don't preach his word. The Bible says if he comes and he finds us ashamed of him or his words, that's the dividing line. Preach the gospel. And if you have to, use words. That's heresy. The gospel is a message. It's not me giving you bottled water on the side of the street with my church sign behind me. That's not the message. The message is how sinful we were and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. And our death, our sin has separated us from God. But God commended his love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And whosoever will that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I must know my sinfulness before I can repent. And I can't get grace unless I've repented. If, we, if we're sons, then they're going to recognize us as such. And at best, they distance themselves. At worst, they hate you. Jesus said it. I, I, don't get mad at me. He said, the world's not going to know you. But I know you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Chris, is this. It says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure that God knows who are his. Even if they don't recognize me, he does. And we know in our spirit that we're his children. And finally this morning... Number four, and because you are sons, you have access to a spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered life. As many as you that are thirsty, let him come unto me and drink, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You have the opportunity the privilege and the access to be filled with God's Spirit. Well, I don't believe that anymore. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. You still have the opportunity and the access to be Spirit-filled. Well, Brother Wood, I got the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Of course you did. Would, would you allow me just two or three minutes to explain the difference between the witness of the Spirit, the, the earnest of our inheritance, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay. When you were born again, God gave you his spirit. He deposited in you his spirit. Uh, it was a mark, if you will. Like, like you would take a signature ring and put it in hot wax and seal an envelope. There's a deposit in you and you've been sealed. So inside is the evidence. But you've been sealed on the outside marked as belonging to God. You were given the Holy Spirit as the earnest of your inheritance. It's the pass 
to make it into the next life, into the next kingdom. It's like if you were to show a ticket to get in the Super Bowl, you know, there are holograms on it and there's certain things and they scan it and they say, that's legitimate. The only thing that gets a man into heaven is the Holy Spirit in his heart, which is the evidence of salvation. Okay? So, yes, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for empowerment. The Holy Spirit at salvation was for you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for them. That's why Jesus said, he said, now, I'm about to leave, but you go tarry until you be endued with power. And then you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the idea of being spirit-filled should be the, the natural desire of every believer. But the devil is wise. The devil is strategic. The devil is smart. And the devil is so predictable. How would he keep from you the greatest post-salvation thing available to you? He'll make it a mockery. He'll make it a joke. And you go into a service in a Pentecostal church and everyone's acting crazy and saying the Lord made them do it. You know, and uh, the Bible speaks of order in the church. There's no order. You know, somebody's screaming, barking like a dog and somebody else. People in church said, I ain't never seen that. You're blessed. You're blessed if you ain't seen it. You know, and they're wreathing on the floor like a snake. And a little boy asked his mama, I said, what, what's, what's, what's she doing? The Lord's purging her. Say, Lord, don't purge me. Whatever you do, don't, I don't want that. So you see that and you say, rightfully, I don't want that. But that is not the manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit shows up in fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And it shows up in power, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Discerning of spirit, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, supernatural gifts that enable you and empower you to use your life with great leverage, with capacity different than just having character. They go hand in hand. The fruit of the spirit is to evidence the indwelling Christ in my life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to show that life in power. It's to show that life in power. I'll stop here and talk to you for just a few moments. And, um, the greatest thing that's ever happened in your pastor's life, post-salvation, was the day that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, bar nothing else. Greatest thing, the most beneficial thing, the most beautiful thing, and the most needed thing as a minister was to be spirit-filled. The Bible says, and you know, people say, oh, don't ask because you'll get, you'll get a demon. And everybody you ever saw, you know, they're acting crazy. You go, well, I don't want that. He said, if a child comes to its parent and asks for bread, will it give them a serpent? And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? I remember sitting in my floor 
in my one-bedroom apartment. I'd been saved about a week. I had my Bible open. All the alcohol hadn't even worked its way out of my system yet. Those of you with my background, you understand what I'm saying. It just takes a while. So I'm still purging physically, emotionally, and spiritually my old life. And I remember seeing, having the Bible in the floor. And it said, if any man thirsts, let him come. And out of his belly shall flow rivers. Well, that's different than the well of salvation. We drink out of the well of our salvation experience, but a well and a river are two different things. And I remember I said, Lord, I know my mom and dad have believed this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for as long as I can remember. I've got another brother that's been in the church while I've been partying and living like hell, and he doesn't believe. And I can't really figure out who's right or wrong, but I want this. And see, when you narrow it down to what the Bible says, I just want this. If it offends granddaddy or grandmama, I'm not doing this to support. I, I have been filled with the devil all my life. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And he baptized me. It is the literal word baptizo in the Greek. Jesus immersed me in his spirit. Now, here's the question. When you're saved, the spirit is where? Inside. When you're baptized, it's outside. And it was for power. I remember starting to try to practice my gift, and not a lot of wisdom flowed from that first couple years of ministry. But I was anointed. I was teaching an adult Sunday school class. I was very limited, by the way, in what I could share. But the class was growing, and people were getting saved. What do you attribute it to? Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a power, an enablement, okay, which opens up so many other doors. You cannot have a fruitful life without the indwelling Holy Spirit. And you can't have a ministry effective life without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do in the flesh. You see, the fruit you don't have any part of. You do understand that. You don't choose to be fruitful. The tree's in the ground, and it's not over there going... Apples, what's it look like on the limb? It just, you grow fruit. Well, you can't choose power either. You have to take it as it's offered. The fruit comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The power, the ministry gifts operate from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, I've been preaching about two years, and the Lord has not used me in this gift often. I can count on one hand in 22 years. And by the way, it's not being seen or known or you know, putting on your resume, this gift operated. But by being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have access to these gifts. And the Bible said the Holy Spirit divides to every man, severally, as he wills. Well, I don't have any of those gifts. Yes, you do. You may not see them because you might not, you might be full of eternal life, but not full of the Holy Spirit, overflowing, indwelling, rivers, so I'm preaching in this Baptist church. How many from Baptist background? Thank the Lord for the systematic study of the Word of God in a Baptist church. We could do good to learn it. But have you ever been in dead Baptist? Predictable Baptist? I was in this church filling in. They have bulletins. Now, we don't have no bulletins. But how many grew up on bulletins? Do you swerve from the bulletin? 
No. This, this is how we got order. So I didn't know. I'm preaching. I preached. People got saved. I prayed for them. And I asked the deacon to come close. I said, brother, if you would come. God is my witness. He comes up to the pulpit and he goes. And she starts on the hymn of invitation. Just as I. I done gave the altar call. Everybody done got saved. And I'm thinking to myself in my non-Baptist mind, I guess. I said, what are we doing? It was on the bulletin. And you, after he preaches, hymn of invitation. So this is how Baptist we were, okay? Wonderful people. So I'm there for like 11 weeks, okay? And I'm realizing, you know, it's kind of like, which one of these does not belong? Which one of these is not? <laughs> and they were wonderful. I'm not saying I was better. I just kind of didn't feel like I fit in. I got my hands lifted one Sunday morning. I'm not thinking. I'm on the front row, and I'm just like this. And I turned around. And I said, yeah, you know. But they kept asking me back. It's kind of like drawn a little bit. We don't really like him, but ask him to come back, you know. So, so I'm preaching. I get done. I'm dismissing the people. I said, y'all, have a wonderful Lord's Day. And then all of a sudden, I had a word of knowledge, which means, and this is a simple explanation, but God took a fact from his mind that I did not have in my mind, and all of a sudden, I knew it. And so I said, the rest of you have a wonderful Lord's Day. Second to the last row on the aisle seat, ma'am, the Lord just wants me to tell you, as much as I can discern his voice, it wasn't audible, but the thing you're worried about tomorrow morning, God said he's taking care of it. She screamed like someone shot her, runs down the aisle, falls on the altar, and I know it's an intimate time. I just give them room. All the family runs down. The rest of you can be dismissed. God bless you. No one moved. <laughs> I don't know. It, I, it just nobody moved. It's like, I'm not getting up. You know? And she prayed and cried. And before she could get up, one of the deacons said, who told you? I said, told me what? About her. I said, I don't know. Well, what is it you were talking about? I said, I don't know. See, the fact he gave me didn't come with facts. I said, I don't know. She was going in for exploratory cancer surgery that morning, the next morning. And the Lord cared enough about his daughter to tell her, ain't nothing about me even worth repeating. But that gift, that ability then, transcended what I could teach from the word, gave her that release. They went in that morning, and of course, all the family was around, and they're going to go in anyway, and they split her, and they looked and looked and looked, and they couldn't find anything. The Lord, not me, the Lord healed her. Just healed her. And then someone could say, well, do it again. <laughs> I can't. Because the power gifts are more about the moment than the man. The character is about the man. And I don't have time to go into the other parts. We will next Sunday, the Lord allows. Why would you not want to be spirit-filled? Here's some of the honest answers I've gotten from people. Ben, if you would come for me here. Here's some of the honest answers. Because my father and grandfather were in the ministry for 70 plus years. And if, if I believe this and I experience this, then I'm as much as saying they're wrong. I understand that. Others would say because of what I've seen, it made me turned off from it. Well, I understand that. But what you saw was not it. 
How could God fill himself with you and create confusion when he's not the author of confusion? Holy Spirit don't make you weird. Weird is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Hollywood understands what demon-possessed means. If I'm possessed, if I'm filled, then I will manifest the nature, the acts, and the lewdness of Satan's heart. So if I'm spirit-filled, I will represent the nature, the heart, and the divine pulses of that power in the world. Not so we can shake our fist and do our leg and be known for as much, but in meekness. Jesus never put on a show, but power pulled from him. He told the disciples, he said, you're going to be endued with power. He'd already called them sheep. You're my sheep. I send you forth as sheep among wolves. He don't tell unbelievers they're sheep. He said, but you, you need this. When I'm gone, you're going to need this. And Simon coming into the temple, the gate beautiful, sees a man that says, alms for the poor. He said, buddy, I don't have any money, but what I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the man stood up and his ankle bones received strength. Could he go to the next guy? Not necessarily, but he had power for that guy. And there was a release of such. I don't own it, but I can house it and channel it and you can lay your hands on the fevered brow of your baby and say in the name of Jesus these signs follow people that believe in his name they lay hands on those that aren't well and they get well and power flows from them we know what demon possessed looks like but what does God possessed look like the Bible tells us would y'all give me just four minutes I'll be done the Bible tells us there was a man the Gadarene demoniac that when Jesus encountered him He had 5,000 demons, at least. When he said, we are legion, Jesus said, what's your name? We're legion, for we are many. And in that day and age, legion stood for a Roman battalion of 5,000. At least 5,000 demons in the labyrinth of this one man's soul. If one man can house 5,000 demons, how much of the Holy Spirit can you hold? Hmm. Could it be that our limited capacity and our not wanting the artificial has kept us from the greatest thing God wants to do in our life since our salvation? And I want to go on record. I want to look in the eye. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray in tongues. I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the most beautiful part of the Holy Spirit is He testifies of Jesus. He brings me back to Jesus. He doesn't speak of himself. He doesn't speak of himself. He brings me back to Jesus. One more quick one. I got two and a half minutes. 1987 at Northside Assembly of God. I see my pastor baptizing a lady. She was very weathered. Life had beat her horribly. She had just given her life to Christ, but she had those deep, troubled past lines everywhere. Her eyes were dark. 
But she had gotten saved and her countenance was brightening up, but she looked 20 years past what she knew. And it's just a baptismal service, just what we did. And he said, darling, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he brought her up. She stood like this and she raised her hands and she just started talking in tongues. She was just talking in tongues. Someone would say, ah, she's out of order. No, 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 she's not out of order. She's not giving a message that needs to be interpreted. The Bible said, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh mysteries unto God. She wasn't talking to the church. She didn't take over the church. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen outside of salvation in church. So she started praying in tongues with her hands lifted and she goes. And her eyes looked like a little nine-year-old girl. And pastor said, what? She goes, what was that? He said, you were talking to the Lord. She said, can I do it again? He said, yeah. I felt like I was in someone's bedroom. I didn't even want to look. I just hid my face. And she lifted her hand. And from the pain and the regret and the bruised and the, and the, the history of her life flowed this powerful river that was rewriting her story on the inside, soon to be seen on the outside. And this promise is unto you and your children, your children's children, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord God shall call. Well, Brother Wood, how do I receive? You ask. And I'm not going to do it here. Go get along with the Lord. said, I don't need no Pastor John or no bishop or a cardinal or a pope or a priest. You are my high priest. I ask you, oh God, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And why would you ask that? Because, Father, I'm your son. And that gift will be yours. Would you stand with me this morning? <laughs> Would you bow your heads this morning? I just want to read this over you before you go home. Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed on us that we, people like you and I, could ever be called the sons or daughters of God. Because of this, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. But beloved, today, now, at this very moment, we are the sons of God. And it has not yet manifested all that we shall be, but we know this one thing. He's coming back for us. And when He appears, we will be like Him. And we'll see him as he is. And as many as received him, to them gave he the power, the authority, the right, the privilege to be called the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. You were born not of blood, nor of the will of someone else, nor of your own will, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and full of truth. So my brother and my sister, really, my brother and my sister, closer to me than my natural family, may God open our eyes of our understanding that we might see the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of this measure of love that would call us his sons. May we live in the awareness of it. 
May we, may we flow from the reality of it. May we be filled with the power of it. That our lives would shout the reality of God Almighty. Because we're sons. Have a wonderful week in the Lord's presence. God bless you. Thank you.